on that phone a period between 30th of January 2020 and June 2020, during which time the WhatsApps have not been yes. capable of being reinstalled yeah. and, and disclosed. That's right. Mass, uncontrolled, illegal immigration. Tens of thousands of mostly young men, many with values and social mores at odds with our own. They expect the boats to be stopped. It's incredibly important to me that we stop the boats. Stop the boats. Stop the boats. Stop the boats. Robert Jenrick, Immigration Minister, has resigned. <laughs> What's going on on this most quiet of news days? Um, welcome to Aid Thompson and other disappointments. There's so much going on out there. Um, let's get into this. Pull up a chair. Roll yourself a bifter. I always say this. Uh, whatever it is that you need to help the medicine go down, you know, join me as we gallivant through these fields of gallows humour. Uh, quick off of the cap to our sponsors for this episode, um, globalbutterflies.com bringing uh, trans and non-binary awareness to the business community. Uh, go check out their work now on their website uh, and work out how you can take your business forward uh, and be more inclusive and receive the business benefits of being so. Uh, right, so let's talk about, first off, like this Boris Johnson inquiry, shall we? Um, let's skip the foreplay and get straight to the penetration, guys. Uh, that is what we're here for, I assume. I think um, that was the big story of the day until about like an hour ago. Um, I mean, look, sure, you know, there's a lot of other stuff that we could talk about as well. And, and there's only one solo episode a week where I try to, or usually only one, where I try to make sense of the senseless. Um, we, we could talk about a lot of different things uh, that are bubbling up. But we could, we could talk about the New York Times article. Don't know if you saw that, that came out this morning about how governments of the world are losing the race against ai yeah we could talk about that for an hour i could bore you for hours dissecting that we could talk about that but i mean you know is there is there that much to say with it really is it is it a shocking expose to any of you guys because i'm not sure it's actually that shocking to me, I mean, we could talk about, it. we could dance around it a little bit, but I don't know if the actual headline is that shocking to me. You know, front page of the New York Times territory, a career-making story there for uh, whoever it was. Who was it again? It was um, Adam Satariano. I, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Uh, Cecilia Kang, I think, was co-writer of it. Great, great work, both of you. Excellent. The Pulitzer Prize is surely on its way to you. The, the governments of the world are losing the race against AI. Who would have thought that human beings, firstly, would have lost that race? Who saw? Who didn't see that coming? <laughs> but also the governments of the world, that they might be sluggish. You know, governments move slower than anyone, don't they? This was the thing that convinced me, like, from the outset that we are doomed with AI. Was that, like, government in general moves so pathetically slow about anything and everything. 
doesn't it? When you're talking about regulation, when you're talking about protections, compliance, anything in, in that arena. Like if we even look at another tech story from recent years, you know, pr probably not so end of the world as like AI, admittedly, although, you know, for those who were affected by it, I'm sure it felt very serious. But people who were filmed by their now ex in, um, how, how do I say this uh, without upsetting the algo um people who were filmed by their exes like back when they were in a relationship with them and then the embittered perhaps now dumped man and it is almost always a man that guy now threatens the woman or doesn't even threaten her doesn't even tell her or give her notice he just puts the footage of the two of them together up on the not suitable for work sites out there i'm, I'm very carefully maneuvering my way around certain terminology here but i'm sure that you get the gist so that was happening for like how many years before they outlawed it with the legislation that they did you know when, like when did the internet explode when did it first start right this problem that was like 1997 right you remember that period like 1998 maybe like napster the hun <laughs> All of these like old school inter vintage internet sites. So like people were uploading videos of their ex-girlfriends to these sorts of platforms and websites way, 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 way back. And so there was an urgent problem to solve that then, you know? Like when people's ex-wives and ex-girlfriends back then in the late 90s, early noughties were like, well, hang on, like we're getting our private photos and videos of us uploaded that we took with our like former boyfriends and stuff or well, not even former boyfriends, just people they went home with one night and they got filmed or they felt a bit you know they were a bit drunk oh yeah it'd be fun it'd be a bit sexy whatever like and then you know this stuff is happening you have to do something they're sending the footage to our employers and our extended family but this is an emergency you've got to legislate you've got to regulate and the regulators and lawmakers and internet service providers, to be fair to them, they listened, right? All these poor women, ex-girlfriends, ex-wives are like, this is urgent, this is embarrassment, this is this is awful, this it could ruin your life. You've got to do something. And these guys, these regulators, they listened and they said, Oh my god, you know, that is that that sounds horrific. That it, like, absolutely, we will look into this. We will. Let me, let me, let me just get my things. Uh, listen, don't, don't worry. Uh, we, we're going to fix it. We, we are. I, I'm, I'm going to be right back. Um, I'll be, I'll be right back in twenty years. <laughs> you know, like it's so, it's so sluggish. It takes so long to regulate and legislate. Anyway. It took 20 years for laws and regulations to act to stop that. And that's quite an easy thing to stop. You know, AI, on the other hand, <laughs> like for the last five years, say it's probably longer, but let's let's say five years. For the last five years, everyone's been like, guys, we, we should really look into this AI thing. You know, we should we should get this regulated before it gets out of hand, before before the robots take everyone's jobs and murder our entire species, we might want to look into this. So yeah, have no fear, dear listeners. If you were worried about, you know, 
a T-1000 knocking on your door and shooting your whole family, it's fine. Don't worry, you know. They're going to look into it. They're going to. You've just got to, you know, hide out in a cave or something until... I mean, what, like, what was five years ago from now? That would have been, um, like, uh, 2018, right? So 20 years after 2018 <laughs> is 2038. So by 2038, they will have passed a law to regulate artificial intelligence, finally. So it's fine, guys. It's going to be okay. They're on it. It'll be fine by 2038. Partly because the world will have nuked or boiled itself by then. So you'd be dead anyway. So, you know, you'll be at peace in some capacity. But, you know, partly because the AI stuff will have definitely wreaked havoc by then. So it's a bit like, you know, what's the point even worrying anymore? You know, <laughs> we've got to regulate this. Do we, though? Do we? Let's just not. I'm not worried. I'm beyond that. I've I've reached that. You know how like when somebody passes away that's close to you, you have the five stages of mourning or, or whatever. I'm very much in the acceptance phase now, I think. That'll probably be like how it all ends, by the way. I don't know. You know, I don't want to bum you out this early in the podcast. Usually I save that for the 30 minute, 45 minute mark. But, um, you know, I'm ahead of my time tonight, clearly. Uh, but that'll, that'll probably be how the world ends, I think. It would be like a cocktail of all three. You know, everyone's like, what if the world ends in a nuclear war? <laughs> what if the world ends by like this happens or that happens? I think it's going to be a uh, what's it called when a movie's got like, you know, five or six different stars in it. It's like all, all in one movie. Um, I'll never remember the name of it now. Uh, but yeah, I think it's going to be a concoction of like all all three or maybe four. Or three. Like like Russia will release a deep fake of Biden and Fauci you know, up to something like laughing about how they've jailed Trump or so, you know, it'll be something like that. Some sort of deep fake mischief. And then that'll kick off a civil war, which will weaken and distract the United States and the UK. And then while they're weakened and distracted, then China will nuke us all, which will then in turn trip switch another ice age or, you know, or whatever. And the whole time the Tesla bots <laughs> are in the background just going like, all right. All clear, right? Yeah, let's go. You know, that's that's how it's going to end, guys. With Tesla bots wreaking havoc and murdering the few that remain that have survived the nuclear holocaust, whatever. Maybe that would make a good, like, merch thing, actually, come to think of it. You know? It's like, you know, how some some content creators... Some creators of content. Some of them do T-shirts, right? And some of them do like little wristbands. You know, they get their catchphrases and stuff written on little wrist, and then they people jump on them and buy them up, and that's how they make their money because there's so little money to be made in actually, you know, generating content or whatever. I keep telling Tan to write like dystopia warning T-shirts and sell them. Um, but my new merch thing. This has just come to me a second ago. My new idea for merch is just going to be like, it's going to be a child's Halloween costume, right? But stretched to fit an adult, right? And it's going to be like, 
Like, hear me out on this, right? It's going to be like the uh, the armbands that you see kids on scooters wearing. You know what I mean? Like little plastic safety things. And, and then the shin pads that come with them. And then the little ha hand bits, like they put their hands through this thing. And then there's plastic like over here, right? And then I'm going to have them all spray painted like grey and silver. These sort of, you know, safety pads on the arms and the hands and the legs and stuff. And then you're going to have a head mask thing, right? Which is going to cover your whole face, right? And it's going to be like, like forget other people's like T-shirts with, you know, the logos and it, like, other people's wristbands. It's like, like my merch store is just going to be like, it's going to sell a robot disguise <laughs> that you can that you can wear when it all goes south, you know. And so then the Tesla bots will get confused and think that you're one of them and you survive. That's the sort of that's the merch I think I'm going to go for. And it's going to come with a complimentary bottle of brandy, you know, so you can just spiritually kick back with me on a hill <laughs> with your tumbler and a cheeky bottle of Napoleons to your left and, you know, just watch London burn in the background. You could be like, yeah, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> spiritually with me, because I'll be long dead. I'll be gone. Um, You'll be the smuggest man to ever wear a child's robot costume. I promise you. Um, or man, you know, a woman could wear this man's costume. I don't, I don't know if, like, the Tesla make robot women yet? You know, I feel like they should, like, it should be inclusive, right? You should have your choice of a Tesla bot male-looking one or a female-looking one. Um, but I don't know, I haven't seen any Tesla female bots yet. I don't get progressive vibes from Elon Musk. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> like, like if you forced me to give you adjectives with which to describe Elon Musk right now, progressive would not be in the first batch that leapt to the fore. Um, anyway, I wasn't, I wasn't even going to talk about that stuff tonight. Where's my bottle opener? Let's get into this, guys. Um, cheers, by the way. Um, happy Wednesday. So yeah, I wasn't going to talk about AI tonight. I was, I was, I definitely wasn't going to spend five minutes mauling the STEM newspapers for their, um, um, like, what has it been this week? How, how can I describe the STEM newspaper output? That's the Sun, the Telegraph, the Express and the Mail with the race route business that's come out, uh, that has engulfed the Windsor's the lion's share of this week and last week. Um, I mean, it's really been a textbook study in how ridiculous this country and specifically its print media has become. So, like, first off, the papers are calling it the race row, you know? Like, it's a row. <laughs> Which kind of, it brings connotations of debate, almost, doesn't it? A couple had a row. Like they were fight, like this was his point of view, that was her point of view, you know? This is a common way that it's described throughout print media now. And probably broadcast journalism as well. It's like, oh, now we go, uh, now we go live to fill outside Windsor Castle for the latest developments with the race row. Philip, tell us what's been happening. Like, is that sort of... It's often used, the race row. And when I read this and when I hear this, I'm like, oh, it's a row now, is it? 
It's a row. What are they rowing about? Oh, oh, well, you see, um, uh, well, you see, these two over here, they're complaining that the other two said something ignorant, insensitive, and 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 horrendously racist. That that right? Okay, so that's what they're saying. Where whereas the other two, yes, well. The, well, the other two, they're um, uh, 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 are they de they're denying it? Are they? Well, uh, well, not not really. Uh, right. Okay. Well, what what are they saying? Are, are they suing the book publisher about it? Well, well um, no, 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 not exactly. Well, you said it was a row, so it's a sort of debate or, or a fight between two conflicting perspectives or something. So there there has to be two sides. Like just 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 otherwise, if it's not a row, if it's not like two debates, two conflicting perspectives, it's just what happened <laughs> you know what i mean it's a race row well what's the other side of it then <laughs> tell us so anyway this week we've had every day updates about the royals and how the king's heart is breaking and you know big photo splashes across the sun the mail the express the telegraph the times all of them Without exception. Like, is no one in the right-wing press actually going to address the substance <laughs> of what these two say the other two said? Like, really? Like, no one's going to talk about that. We're not? Oh, okay. Oh, we're not? Oh, right, okay. That's fine. That's very clear, actually. Thank you. It's like... You know, you imagine the editors talking to each other and they're like, how are we going to broach the subject of this, you know, without actually addressing the substance? Like, how are we going to defend the royals against these, these ghastly, wayward couple over here? Like, how are we going to... Oh, right, OK, so we're going to do a united front, are we? A united front of the royals across all of the right-wing newspapers. Forget the substance... Forget the accusations. Forget the foundations of them. Forget that the fact that they're looking at all legal options, apparently, the Buckingham Palace lot, which, as I think I said on a TikTok uh, last week, like, I mean, you can look at all the legal options you like, but <laughs> if you're in England and this is about a book that was published in Holland, <laughs> I mean, that's a different jurisdiction, right? So... And also, if you did say it, which it appears that they did, I mean, by all means, look at the legal options. But I mean, it just it doesn't really mean a whole lot, does it? So anyway, yes, they have all apparently uh, the right wing press agreed to put out this. The royals put on a united front uh, approach. That's the latest thing that's come out of Buckingham Palace. And, uh, and I suppose by proxy, you know, you could say that the right wing press have put on something of a uh, united front in that respect, too, couldn't you? Cheers. Anyway, let's let's drag this kicking and screaming back to uh, the Boris Johnson inquiry stuff, shall we? Um, oh, somebody's just popped in the chat saying ensemble. Yes, you're right, Tracy Birch. Thank you. That was the word, the word that escaped me. An ensemble cast movie is like where you get all of the like high profile cast main characters all together um 
which is what I was talking about earlier. If, if you've just joined us on the live stream, I was saying how all of the different types of ends of the world are actually likely to happen at the same time. But yes, anyway, so the Boris Johnson appearance at the inquiry, because uh, that is the big story, uh, or at least was until uh, about an hour before we started going live here. Uh, but we'll get on to that in a minute. Um, so, so Boris Johnson, basically, th this was my read of it. Boris Johnson, a man who has lied to everyone he's ever got close to. We all know that. Um, a man whose words carry such little integrity or meaning. It's actually hard for your brain to make sense of them. You know, <laughs> there's so little meaning there. It's you just can't translate it any like what like your brain gives up in mid translate. Like, is it worth me interpreting what he said? No. Well, then let's just tell AIDS, the rest of AIDS conscious that we don't understand it. It's a foreign language to us. Um, this man has sworn on the Bible <laughs> to tell us the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth this time. <laughs> This time, I'll be honest, guys, I swear. Um, does anyone remember when he appeared at the Partygate hearing? And he swore on the Bible. And, and there were all these memes going around, like where he puts his hand on the Bible and like immediately bursts into flames. <laughs> like, like the very concept of truth is so foreign to him. It's like... It's like he's worried if he starts speaking it now, it'll sort of make him foreign and he'll end up writing an article disparaging himself. You know, like I really think I think that's what's going on here psychologically. But anyway, he takes the stand today at the uh, at the inquiry and the King's Council, the KC, uh, asks him uh, a load of questions about the pandemic. He gets grilled. And his appearance there was everything that you would expect it to be, really. Um, you know, they asked him questions. He tried to push back and wriggle out of thing and, uh, things and, and obfuscate. And, you know, they would correct him then. And um, uh, like there was one bit I saw uh, where the KC, uh, I forget the guy's name now. Uh, he was like, you know, I don't, I don't know why you think you weren't made aware of this at this time. <laughs> Mr. Johnson, I mean, it's it's like here in black and white, sent to you directly on WhatsApp. And he's like, oh, all right. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry. You know, that's <laughs> like humbled, put straight back in his box. And it wasn't just that wasn't like a one off. This was his appearance again and again and again. You know, there was another bit um, uh, posted about by uh, Byline Times, Adam Bienkov, I think his name is. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Probably not. Um, but yes, Adam Bienkov uh, tweeted about this earlier. He said, um, he said, Boris Johnson denies being told by his advisors that COVID was serious in the early months of 2020. He is then shown this message from early February uh, in which his chief advisor says scientists were warning that the virus was out of control and would soon sweep the world. And, you know, I saw this highlighted by uh, Ian Dunt as well. If you don't follow Ian Dunt or Adam Bienkov, then absolutely go and give them a follow. Uh, they're both very, very good journalists. Um, and it, anyway, Dunt was saying, you know, it's it's like, you know, the, the bluster was there, uh, albeit a bit muted, you know. Uh, but it was like he was just being again and again, like, corrected with actual evidence, you know? Like, the bluster was a attempted, but 
lower velocity, if that's the right way of describing it. He was kind of like, if you think about what Boris Johnson was at PMQs and what Boris Johnson was like in front of the bus in the Brexit campaign. Well, now that it was like down, it was dialed down. It's like your granddad after two brandies, not seven. You know, <laughs> it was that sort of reduced level of bluster. But anyway, again and again, he would say something, you know, like, well, you know, I, I, I don't think anyone knew uh, at, that, at that stage that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, or he would say, well, I, I wasn't told that uh, until, until a bit later. And time and again, they would go, well, here is the evidence <laughs> that you did know about it or everyone did warn you. Like basically calling him a liar, like to his face. <laughs> what, what are you doing? Why are you saying that when it's, look, it's here. <laughs> In the evidence that you provided to us. It's just, you know. And each time just neutered. Each time he's like, oh, all right, okay, kid, I'm, I'm sorry. Like you'd think it'd be fun, wouldn't you? To watch that. To see this man kind of reined in. You'd think it'd be fun. Which it kind of, like, it sort of was. But also it was more, like, sobering. You know? It felt like... It felt like watching someone that you really hate getting beaten up. You know? But when they're in their 70s. <laughs> like... Like they're, they're handicapped now and mauled by age. And you're stood on the sidelines, like watching their wheelchair get tipped over and their ribs get broken. And, and you're like, I, I thought this would be funner, you know? <laughs> That's what it felt like. It's like, I should be enjoying this more, but it's just, you know. Like the performance in it, it was just, I can't think of a better word than sobering. It was, you know, I watched his fumbling and faltering. I listened to him stutter and stumble. And rather than make me think, oh, okay, so he does harbour some contrition, you know, or, um, uh, or oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what you get, you know, which is what I think a lot of us were hoping to feel when we watched this. Uh, more than anything else, I just felt, you know, sad, firstly, and, and, then, and then angry, uh, you know, for, for realising how pathetic our political processes are in the UK. You know, like if this is how easily this individual falls to pieces under questioning on being cha uh, challenged, then what does that say about the neutered futility of PMQs? You know, uh, what does it say about how inadequate the conservative leadership processes were? Right. You know. It's like the contrast between PMQs and this is just stark. Like, how did somebody so useless and unsuitable and shabby ever get anywhere near the corridors of power when they just fall to pieces like this? Like, what was the quote that they read out today or reread today? Um... Was from a senior parliamentary secretary or someone, um, and it was something along the lines of uh, that they weren't prepared to see a group of people so manifestly unsuitable for running the country. I'm like, I'm sure I'm misquoting that. 
and I've completely butchered like the, the actual words, but it was it was that was the gist. It was like I couldn't believe that these individuals who were so ill-equipped were in charge of running the UK. Like that was it. It was. And it was reread to him. And he was like, how do you respond to that? And he's like, well, you know, it's to be expected. It's like, no, don't just say that you expect some flack from someone. Why would these people say that? Do you agree with it? Like the guy couldn't believe that they were basically a carry on film of just, you know, crayon eating cretins bouncing off the walls, not across their briefs, you know, forgetful, inattentive. Couldn't grasp simple concepts. Arrogant. Haphazard. And I'll tell you the other takeaway that I took away from Mr. Takeaways <laughs> today was that he was trying to blag his way past the 5,000 missing WhatsApps thing. You know, he was like... He was like, well, you know, I I, I, I turned it off and, and then I, I I turned it on again. And, and the, the, the messages, were they were just gone. You know, it's like it's so insultingly unbelievable. Isn't it? No, it's just a, it's just a strange anomaly. I, I turned it off. I turned it on again. Gone. Just like that. Just like magic. And I was watching this. I was thinking. Like. Like, you know, when you know, when someone said like you're in an argument with something like maybe it's a wife or your, your, you know, your brother or something like when you're in an argument with someone. And they say something that is just so ignorant, you know, and or, you know, insulting that it just propels you <laughs> to depths of insanity. You just go into it's like somebody says blah, 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 blah like that. And you just go. Oh, oh my god like you it literally sends you insane for like a minute while you like collect your thoughts and think about how you're going to retort and educate and put this person in their place and win the argument you know like is that that was how i felt watching this insulting thing about like turning off and on your phone and losing or you know like i felt myself consumed with rage firing in like three different directions when i heard that i was like first off Get yourself a refund from Jennifer R. Curie, okay? For those IT lessons. Because this is ridiculous. Like, your messages are backed up in the cloud, you yeti-looking mother... All right, I can't can't finish that word. Dra damn, damn the algo. Um, you know, you don't lose 5,000 messages like that. It's not 2004, all right? They're backed up in the cloud. Let's just move up. Second, second of my, like firing out rocket ships of immediate rage it was like what what are the chances that the prime minister the chancellor the most senior civil servant and the guy in charge of test and trace the minister for test and trace lord bethel that all of them can't submit key evidence you know lost phones and sicky sign-offs Across all four of them. Like, what are the odds of that? Oh, I've, I've accidentally lost 5,000 key messages from the key, you know, the first stages uh, of the pandemic that you would all be incredibly interested in. I mean, I'm, I'm very sorry, but I've lost them. Like, what? A, what? A, like, like, I was watching this. I was like, how incredibly lucky or unlucky for you, you know, <laughs> depending on what 
all of them definitely absolutely would have said and incriminated you by. But what are the chances that four people in a government inquiry are unable to submit key evidence? I've lost my phone. I've lost my phone. Oh, I've lost my phone. It was broken. And then, you know, and then the other guy like signed off sick indefinitely. What are the chances, the odds of that? And then people wonder why people like me end up radicalised <laughs> and starting podcasts where I'm effectively shouting into the ether in my shed. People wonder why we end up radicalised when there's not even a sniff of accountability in everyday politics. I mean, I've already covered the differences between this and PMQs. Right. You try asking him a straight question in PMQs. What do you go? Oh, take no lectures from Labour on blah, blah, blah. I refuse to be blah, blah, blah. blah. You, know? you never get any accountability in PMQs. It's basically a pantomime in which no single question is answered. But the, the name Prime Minister's questions should be sacked off. It should be sued against under trade descriptions. <laughs> That's how little accountability you get there. You get no accountability from the majority right-wing press, most of whom have been briefing on Johnson's behalf all week. You've got no accountability from private prosecutions. They get thrown out by the High Court. You know, it's like, oh, sorry, sorry, Marcus Ball. Sorry, Mr. Ball, you can't prosecute Mr. Johnson because, because we believe that you're being vexatious. Like, that was the reason. So you get no accountability there either. There's no accountability anywhere except in a government inquiry, an inquiry that Johnson himself kept trying to delay and did, 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 dither. And then you wonder how we all end up so radicalised when there's no accountability. And the one place there's a sniff of it, he's just allowed to go, oh, well, I, I had a bit of phone trouble, you know? <laughs> and then that's the end of it. <laughs> just... It's like, uh, no. No, 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 this will not do at all. Like, before, I just wanted him voted out. And then it may be held to account in some capacity. Now, I want them all thrown in jail. Anyway, where was I? What was I babbling about? Oh, yeah, so, four people. All at the top of government. Cheers. And now, here's the thing, right? Even if you believe that all four of those are legit, right? Like, it's possible Simon Case is very unwell. It's possible Lord Bethel just lost his phone and then he broke it and then he gave the broken phone that he'd lost to a family member and he can't retrieve it or, you know, whatever his story is this week. It's possible that Johnson accidentally wiped his WhatsApp from the key period that we're talking about. None of that is totally outside the bounds of possibility. I mean, far-fetched? Absolutely. <laughs> but impossible? No, 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 it, it could happen with the right set of circumstances, the right, you know, government-wide permeation of poor luck. It could be possible for all four of those things to happen. 
totally innocently. But here is the thing. Even if you believe it, even if you've got a nasty case of the hero worship going on, you know, and you still think hashtag Boris is doing his best or hashtag bring back Boris and, you know, all of that. Even if you believe all of these things, right? Ask yourself this. Even if you believe all of that is possible, here's the question for you. On the balance of probabilities, which do you think is more likely? <laughs> that four separate people at the top of the political food chain who could all have vested interests in withholding evidence, that they have all suffered bad luck in providing evidence to an inquiry that's over here, or that at least one, probably more, are attempting to pervert the course of justice here. Like, just ask yourself that. Which is more likely? To you, four separate cases of bad luck where people absolutely have a reason to evade it or corruption. <laughs> Answers on a postcard. If not in PMQs. Suella Braverman got herself in uh, in some drama today. Um, I was about to say, uh, like when I was prepping for this, I was like, will this make the news tonight? Don't know if it will, you know. Don't know if people like. Do people still care about Suella, or will they just give her the shrug and ignore treatment that she deserves? But obviously, you know, it has. It's bubbled up. It's developed somewhat. Um. Basically, this all kind of started earlier this afternoon. Uh, she stood up in the Commons, and she said that she wanted to talk about. Uh, how was it? What did she phrase it again? I think it was um. Uh, she said, I want to talk about mass, uncontrolled, illegal immigration. <laughs> mass meaning it's happening lots and lots and lots and lots. Which, you know, I, I know net migration figures are up quite a bit. But uncontrolled, illegal immigration. I don't think that's quite, you know, mass level yet, is it? Um. But anyway, yeah, so she stood up, she gave this long, you know, some people have compared it to the Rivers of Blood speech by Enoch Powell. Um, I don't think it was that bad, but uh, yeah, she said uh, that there were there's young men with attitudes and social mores at odds with our own, you know, a lot of othering going on there. Uh, she said they're pouring into our country day after day, week after week. Um, she says many come from safe countries. Uh, she says many are not refugees, but are economic migrants. Woo she says all of them have paid thousands to criminal gangs to break into Britain. And uh, I don't know if any of you have watched the actual speech, but. Um, I watched it earlier and my takeaway from it, I was, like I watched it, I was like, is is the Daily Mail literally writing her autocue for her now like <laughs> penning her speeches for her you know because it's like it's literally a daily mail article is what that like breaking into britain you know attitudes at odds with our own economic migrants that come from safe countries how dare they and like i was watching it i was thinking like you know does paul dacre really need that seat in the House of Lords that he's so desperate for. Does he? You know, because this sounds like him. 
Like, he's already in the comments. She reckons people broke... Uh, she, sorry, she reckons... Uh, broke people in boats are putting pressure on public finances. That was another thing. People in boats are putting unnecessary and unmaintainable financial pressure on the tax coffers and on public services. And uh, and it's like, like, honestly, like with every line in this speech that she made today, like we could pick it apart and dismantle it in seconds, couldn't we? Because we've heard it all so, so many times before. And it's like, you know, we all we all know it's rubbish and we all know the reasons why for every single one of her talking points. Because they've been debated and rehashed and dismantled and dismissed like a hundred or a thousand different times before. But do we need to go through it again? Do we? You know, you people are smart. Like they're not economic migrants. You know, they're found overwhelmingly to be legitimate refugees. But the reason that she says many are not or many are not econ like it's possible like what is many you could say 20 of them are economic migrants well there you go look many of them over there you know it's very carefully worded it's lawyered af and they're not breaking into britain they're claiming asylum as is their right they're allowed to leave a safe country and claim asylum here that is also their right it's written in the convention and if it's a question of public finances, if it's a question of pressure on public services, oh, oh, are you going to be mad when I tell you about tax avoidance, Sue? Oh, man. I mean, you know, I know you're a very cross lady at the best of times. I know you haven't cracked a smile since that time you were speeding through Camden and you caught a glimpse of the council scooping up that homeless guy in his tent and throwing it all in the back of a lorry. I know you're just a naturally a very unhappy woman, Sue. But wait till I tell you about tax avoidance. You are going to be vexed, love. But anyway, all of this goes back to the Rwanda policy, which was, of course, her dream. Her obsession. Until it got shut down by the courts. Um, and then James Cleverly. Or. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how many of you read John Crace in The Guardian. He does like the, the politics sketch. He calls him uh, Jimmy Dimley. <laughs> James Cleverly. Jimmy Dimley. Uh, which I love. What's up, John Crace? Well, you're probably not listening, but uh, I'm a big fan. Um, I would have gone with Jimmy Dim myself, you know, just sort of flows nicely. I'm a hip hop fan. I like the sort of, you know, matching syllables and stuff. Anyway. Um, but yes, yeah, so Jimmy Dimley uh, uh, comes on board and he said, or, you know, James Cleverly said uh, that the policy isn't the be all and end all. I think he said that last week, uh, which is basically the government, you know, Rishi Sunak giving two fingers up to Braverman, isn't it? It's like, see you, Sue. Peace. This was your flagship policy. It's not the be all and end all, you know. We might throw it in the bin, to be honest. That was cleverly last week. You know, I interpreted it. I sort of translated it in my head. I was like, cleverly saying, you know, bye, Suella. Bye. I'm the new home sec now. I'm the home secretary. And do you know what? It's, it's quite busy in here, sweetheart. It is. You know, I haven't got time to be wasting on your embarrassments, Sue. I've got my own monumental mistake 
to manage now in the shape of this spousal visa salary threshold thing, which is obviously going to get U-turned, by the way. <laughs> like, I was looking at some comments about it last night. And sorry, look, I know I'm bouncing from pillar to post here. We've gone from, like, Boris Johnson to uh, the Suella Bravman thing, and now I'm talking about Cleverly or, or whatever. I promise we're, we're going to try to get back to uh, back to the Suella stuff and the developments thereof. Um. But I was looking at some of the comments about this, uh, you know, the visa salary threshold changes, which if you're not aware of it, they're looking to hike the salary threshold. So now if you are British and you meet a uh, Australian woman or uh, Nigerian or, you know, wherever, somebody that's not a UK citizen, uh, in order to marry them and bring them over here, it's no longer just enough that you love them. Uh, it is now they have to meet a salary threshold of like £38,000, I think it is. Uh, and so effectively, it's like saying to poor people, you can't afford to love somebody of, of a different nationality. You just get the home stock. <laughs> and, and look, no disrespect to my fellow, you know, Brits and specifically British women. But if you've ever gone to the pub on a Friday night, occasionally you do think... I might, I might look overseas, you know, I might, no. Okay, that's, that's too much. That's, that's me. Um, but let's, uh, let's continue. So we're, uh, for, before I get myself in trouble, expanding on that. Um, so I was, I was reading a few comments about this stuff and, uh, and listening to some of the phone-ins from James O'Brien's show about it from uh, couples who are, you know, they're like, I, I don't know what's going to happen now to my husband. You know, we're supposed to be getting married starting a life here and now i don't know if we can you know we might have to split up like that's the real effect that this policy is happening on actual people's lives and then you know there's other people in sort of almost a reverse situation where they're like you know i'm in malaysia now and i love my wife and we had planned to come back home but there's no way that she can earn forty thousand pounds in the uk and this could actually break our family apart you know and it's serious, like, for, for these people. It's it's life-ruining policies. And it's, uh, you know, weird of a conservative government, especially. You know, they're, they're supposed to be small state. Supposed to not interfere with people's lives. We'll just get... The government will get off your back. We'll just let you do your own thing. You know, that's the idea of conservatism, or at least one of the pillars of it. So, yeah, a lot of it is is heartbreaking and unlawful and, uh, uh, and infuriating and... Uh, and I just think it's important to remember uh, that, you know, in these dark times, um, in the context uh, of these dark and cruel policies, um, you know, it's, it's vital to cling on to the positives where we can. And in this instance, I'm trying to just remind myself that there are absolutely couples out there for whom having the other half stuck in a foreign country, unable to get in, is 100% net positive. I'm sorry, but it is. There will be couples out there like that. That is just a fact. That is definitely happening somewhere out there. And we have to take our wins where we can, guys. It's a dark time. There is definitely a fed-up wife out there who has always fantasised about her husband being held back in, I don't know, Pakistan, you know, because he's, I don't know, 
someone made a mistake and put him on an international security no-fly list or something and he's just stuck there and then she gets to just stay here and live her best life you know there's definitely a woman out there who has fantasized about that happening and this could be her time dear listeners you're gonna take that away from her really you know she just gets to read a book in bed in peace now without him dry humping her <laughs> with his weird like 53 year old boxer's tent just prodding into her thigh and annoying her you know and she's just sort of thinking oh please god i just i just want to read my book can i just get some peace and quiet i have to deal with this every night right She's like, please let that happen. Please just let him, you know, next time he flies back from seeing his family, please let them accidentally find a box cutter in his thing. Like, I'm not saying anyone needs to get hurt. Nobody needs to get hurt. I'm not talking about xenophobia or racism. Or... I'm just saying, please just keep it back there a little bit so I can read my book and have a bit of peace and quiet. And I'm just saying, maybe that poor, exhausted woman now gets a break. <laughs> I'm just saying you have to look at these policies in the round guys all right all of the pros as well as the cons um wow that got a little bit uh probably a bit problematic there anyway just to round off just to, to finish off here uh jenrick robert jenrick is a uh, was a immigration minister in rishi sunat's government very close to uh, suella braverman worked with her uh in the Home office. Suella Bradman obviously uh, resigned in a huff, uh, I think two weeks ago or four weeks ago. Time flies, right? Um, so she resigns uh, after her Rwanda policy was deemed unlawful. He's very close to her. He stands up in the Commons. This was about, it was probably about a week ago. And he says, you know, I had a plan. These were my ideas and this could have reduced the net migration figures, blah, blah, blah. And everyone at the time, me included, was like, why is this relatively junior minister like he's not the home secretary why is this relatively junior immigration minister talking about his ideas and we should have implemented my plan like nobody's asking about your plan you work for the home office which is led by the home secretary so why don't you just sit down and listen to what jimmy dimley is telling you to do right so to me it seemed insubordinate cheeky weird and now as of this evening Robert Jenrick has resigned and Rishi Sunak has gone to see the 1922 committee. And there are political commentators who are suggesting nothing is confirmed yet at time of recording that this could be the end of Rishi Sunak. Now, that seems quite outrageous to say, but if this is the first like grass, not grassroots, green shoots of a kind of mutiny designed to bring down Rishi Sunak, following the Rwanda uh, deal that has now been published that says Rwanda can refuse to accept any uh, refugees that we ship over there if they think that we are breaking international law. Like they can renege on the whole deal. And this is seen as, a, as an embarrassment to all of the hard right Tories. Then in spite of Rishi Sunak doing everything to appease the hard right, in spite of him consistently ignoring the moderates <laughs> and completely... Uh, betraying his more moderate sensibilities, uh, it, it would appear or it could be the very, very early stages of a sort of, you know, um, 
death by a thousand cuts series of resignations. Uh, and I think it's very, very interesting that he's already gone to go and see the 1922 committee and that he's got this Robert Jenrick guy uh, resigning and that there's quotes. I saw a quote earlier from, um, uh, God, what's her name? I'm so bad with names and like words tonight. I'm so sorry. Uh, but you know what? This this is this isn't the news agents, okay? <laughs> this isn't Newsnight or any, like this is a guy in his shed. We've been through this. Um, but yeah, there was a, a, a tweet or a quote put out earlier by Pippa Crerup, uh, from a political editor of the Guardian, and she said that she had spoken to a person, uh, a source last week, who had described Robert Jenrick along the lines of he is distancing himself from Rishi Sunak now. He doesn't want to be tied to the person who is associated with political failure. And it was almost like when I saw that, I was like, that's interesting. Because if he said that last week to her and last week was the time that he stood up in the Houses of Parliament and then made a sort of push to talk about my plan. And these were my ideas and like effectively being insubordinate to James Cleverly. I would suspect that somebody like Robert Jenrick is either making a play for Home Secretary in a Suella Braverman government or potentially going for the leadership himself. Like this to me seems like a very calculated, careerist and somewhat, uh, maybe sociopathic, sociopathic is too strong a word, I'm second guessing myself there a bit. But then I remembered that he deliberately instructed somebody to remove the Mickey Mouse murals from the Children's Refugee Centre. So you know what? I'm fine with sociopath. Uh, this seems like a very careerist, uh, calculated and sociopathic uh, move by somebody that also fits within those terms. Wow, I feel like I've been blethering for a while now, guys. Um, I need to run off. Thank you so much for joining me in the live chat. What's up to Purity? What's up to Jez, Stuart, uh, Tracy and Sav? Um, big shouts to my Patreons. Um, I haven't got the, the list of your names open now. Should I quickly? I'll quickly open it. I'll give a shout out to the Patreon members. You guys rock my world. You continue to support the podcast um, and I'm I'm endlessly thankful for it. So let me quickly go through this. Um, da, da, da. So once up, uh, once again, thank you to uh, Rachel Harris, to Bowman, Kai, Chris D, David Voice, Martin Maracas, Mojo Sabian, Peter Del Monte, uh, Pingu, Stuart, T-Rex, Aaron, Aid. Oh, Aid is our newest member, by the way. Aid joined the Patreon uh, over the weekend. So what's up to Aid? Um, fantastic name, obviously. Um, Alex, Jeff McGow, Ned Berg, Sarah Setters and Simon Flack. Thank you so much, guys. Um, once again, big, big thanks to all of you for tuning in. I'll be back on Friday night with a guest. Until then, take care of yourselves. Keep it booge. Strictly hashtag Bimfluencer. And I'm out this mother Hubbard. Ha <laughs> ha!